0: Hi, I'm Amanda Pesciucco. This is Sheila. Hello, it's Debita. I'm Gina Lovato. Hey, it's Anna Dunn. I'm Caitlin Bailey. This is Melissa Novak. It's Sean Jacobson. Hey, it's Bethany Nicole. welcome to sex party. And welcome to sex party. Welcome to sex party. Welcome to sex party. Welcome to sex party. To sex, party. <laughs> sex party with your host, Dustin Ripka. And welcome to Sex Party. I'm your host, Dustin Ribka. With me on the show this week is Dr. Victoria Hartman. Dr. Victoria Hartman, you may remember from the Halloween special, she is back. We are going to talk about the darker side of things. This episode is going to function as a true crime episode or a true sex crime episode. Dr. Hartman is an author. She's a doctor. But she has a brilliant mind and a brilliant way of putting into words um, just how much we don't understand about the darker side of sex, the darker side of kink. Um, This is one of the most fascinating episodes of Sex Party that I've ever done. We are going to talk about BTK. We're going to talk about Ted Bundy. We're going to talk about Karen Greenlee. Um, But we're really going to explore this question of where is the line of, uh, rough, dark sexual fantasy and becoming a killer? And can you, can you cross it, uh, just on a whim? Is there something in the brain that, that, uh, makes you a killer or is it a split second decision? And I think what she has to say is so profound that it's going to freak everybody out. So this one is going to be good. Uh really, really dark, really, really great. So, true crime fanatics, this one's for you. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Victoria Hartman. This week's conversation, conversation. Dr. Victoria Hartman, aka Dr. Death. Uh <laughs> welcome back <laughs> to Sex Party. I've like, you know, dreamed of this moment since Halloween because you told me so many. <laughs> fucking nightmarish things that kept me up since then and i just i can't wait i can't wait how are you doing
1: well you asked awesome questions so i've been just as eager to come back on i'm like wow this guy's really curious we need to do more shit yeah
0: no for sure we we should collab like a ton and just flip people out i think yeah 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 we definitely make a good team um for the people who maybe skipped Halloween, which were pissed about, like, if you didn't, shame didn't on you. want, yeah, shame on you. If you didn't watch the Halloween special, after you're done listening or watching this, go back and do the, your thing with that. Um, It was amazing. But if if they slept under a rock, if they just got out of rehab, if they, whatever, right? <laughs> um, Can we talk a little bit, or can you talk a little bit about who you are, what you do, and the role that, like... You know that sex has played throughout your life really
1: oh boy okay now you're some of your <laughs> viewers are gonna faint and shit so um, we love sure. it we love it yeah i'm freak. um so um well i mean if you go way 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 back i can remember what i think was sort of the the start of all of this was uh and you know as a five year old I started realizing I was having weird feelings and I went to my mom and was kind of trying to explain it to her as a five year old would and and she was very chill about it being German and everything you know they have a very great at- atti- they have a great attitude towards that, or at least when I was growing up nowadays I'm not so sure but um she just kind of like, was just like, Oh, that's just you grown up, honey. And like, that was the perfect parenting moment because from then on, no matter how much of a freak I was, it was totally okay.
0: <laughs>
1: <clears throat> and I got like super interested in just, you know, as I, well, as a kid, I didn't know what I wanted to do professionally. I wanted to be a ballerina and an interior designer and stuff like that. And then, um, <clears throat> but I'd always been a freak and, um, Rather promiscuous and bi. well, actually, I thought I was gay at first. So I didn't actually um, try dick until I was seventeen. I was with pretty much girls from that, you know, as a as a girl myself, and thought for sure I was gay. And then Dick came along, and I was just like, "Hey, there's something else to play." With. An ex-lover of mine, he said this once. I said, "How did you?" He was gay. He was by. I was like, "How did you realize that you were?" You know, what, what was your attitude when you were like a teenager and you were bi? And you were like, "Well, I kind of looked at it as." A Snickers bar and a Mars bar. <laughs> Why do I have to choose? And I went, I love that analogy. So it's like, can't I have both? And I'm like, right, I know. So, um, but that, you know, and I just, um, I was just a slut and I, uh, couldn't figure out what I wanted to do professionally. I went into property management for a while and that sucked. And I went into, um, well, I think pretty much I did that. And then I started, uh, Working at a place that used to be called TM Publishing, and they were an adult um, distributor. Mm-hmm. And I started off as an envelope stuffer back in the day when you'd stuff ads into envelopes and mail them out when you still could. And graduated, I you know moved up the ranks until I ended up being in charge of the distribution department and started going to all the porn conventions and stuff because you know I was doing the purchasing of the materials and all the product that we were sending out to customers. And I, you know, I met, uh, I started sending like cards out to the stars, um, about like getting into the industry. And one person sent me a response and that was Nina Hartley. She wrote me back and she was like, listen, honey, if you make this decision, just know, now I remember I was in my early twenties, right? Mm -hmm. Um, she's like, this will affect your life Forever forever. So choose wisely. I would suggest getting an advanced education because she was like a nurse and stuff. And that really made me think a lot about that choice. And I eventually decided against it. I didn't go into the adult industry as a performer. And uh, I met her like a few times. And the first time I met her was years later, years later. And I told her, thank you for that. And I think I was actually already the director at the museum, and she was like, "Do you feel like people take you more seriously that since you didn't now that you are who you are?" and I was like, Yeah, yeah, I do um, but in the meantime, I had done uh like fetish work and um like kink modeling and stuff like that because i just wanted I just wanted to see what it was like to be in front of the camera and realize I like being behind the camera a lot better mm-hmm. um I still even to this day, I still model from time to time I just did in october but um nothing like nude anymore you might you know i'm 54 and don't it's not my thing anymore but um everybody tells me you still should i'm like no <laughs> <laughs> thanks but no but uh um but i do still do lingerie modeling now and again and and um um And I really loved doing behind the camera stuff, but I went in this direction, uh, which, you know, we'll get to where I started shooting like um, hard R um, horror movies uh, that had really strong sexual themes and ended up in that industry for 20 years. Wow. Behind the camera as a producer director doing sort of B movies, really. That's what they are. B movies, late time, you know, late night showtime kind of stuff. Um, and sometimes was ca- contracted out by different um, film houses to do their filming. Uh, I did a few cameos here and there, you know, as the girl that gets chased and falls down several times and then dies. And uh, but mostly I was behind the camera. And you know, I, I kind of. I mean, I don't really consider myself a B movie queen, but others have. And so I started getting contacted by people who, you know, started sharing some of their fantasies. And I was fascinated. And it was around the time that I went back to college and was like engrossed in abnormal psychology. And they sort of coalesced together. This work that I did, you know, in the horror film business, and then, you know, the stuff I was learning in school and abnormal psychology, just I it gripped me and never let go. And then I started getting into abnormal sexuality, which is, of course, a subset of abnormal psychology. And and somewhere along the lines, I, I well, par- partially because of my own, some of my own experiences in my life, but, but just in general, I got really curious about why do people commit sexual crimes? Why? And I thought to myself, you know, the more people were sending me these really, really, really dark fantasies that I was kind of like, maybe I have a study group here. And when I got to my PhD studies, I started reaching out to these people um, who were sort of in an online community where they shared these really, really dark fantasies with one another. And I did, for my first PhD, I did a, uh, a survey of people that were participating in these, what I later called online necrophilia communities. And I got like over a hundred respondents, which was amazing considering yeah. how insular these, these communities are. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then when I, I decided to do a second PhD and that one I actually interviewed. So it wasn't just a survey an anonymous survey. It was an interview. And I, I thought for, I would get, you know, 50, maybe half of the people that had responded to my survey, 11. Mm. Eleven people were willing to talk to me. Um, they, you know, and they. Were, I did a, um, a mostly a written interview. Some would talk to me on the phone, but mostly it was a written interview. And uh, I published the results of that study, the second one, or that dissertation, in a book called um, "I Love Dead People: Inside the Minds of Death Fetishists." Mm. And I just haven't been able to let go of <laughs> this, this, fe- this, you know, area of, of study. Um, and I've written articles and other journals and and anthologies for people who you know also study it, but they come more from a criminological end or angle. And I was never on the I until recently I wasn't on the criminological side. I was on the sort of kink BDSM non-offender side. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was for sure thought I'd find the offenders amongst all the non-offenders. And that actually turned out to be wrong. So, um, it wasn't only until about actually a year or so ago when I started, um, uh, dating the guy that I'm dating now, he was fascinated with serial killers, especially like BTK. And we started having these. You know, he wanted he we would have these long, long, long discussions about the psychology of these people. And I said, Look, I really am not very familiar with actual offenders. I just never went that route. And the more we talked about it, the more curious I got. Um, so I credit him with, you know, my switch over to the criminological side. And it's been fascinating, mm. absolutely fascinating. And I realized, you know, and now I'm writing two books called The Sexual Art of Serial Killers One and Two. Um, And I realized that the lines that I thought were there that were so clear before aren't that clear. And it's made a lot of people, scholars who are really on, not my side, but who really advocated for the work that I did and would proudly talk about the work that I do, they've started to distance themselves because... I can't, I have to, I've had, you know, and in science, you have to correct yourself. If you start having evidence to the contrary of what your original hypothesis was. Mm -hmm. And mine was that, you know, people who have these inclinations are stay in the, in the, in the fantasy realm, they don't cross over. And as I've started to study uh, and write about people who have, I'm, recognizing that that line that crossover line Mm -hmm. and i know we all want the black and white secure you know answers and we want secure um assessments so that we know like if we're safe in the world and not i get it i get it but that crossover line is so gray and ambiguous and you never know when it's going to come that i can't say 100 certainty anymore there's the kingsters and then there's the criminals i i can't say that anymore because and even in some of the writings that i've done they've done psychological and psychiatric assessments on some of these killers and they don't have a psychiatric problem
0: oh, okay some don't <laughs> okay well <clears throat> anyway well no i mean yeah,
1: that's me I, I, that's where i'm at today
0: I, i'm <laughs> i'm so fascinated um and there's so many different places we could go. And so, number one, we've discovered that you're a fucking overachiever. Obviously, um, <laughs> you. You've,
1: oh, and I run a museum uh, too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Let's talk about the museum because I think that's an important piece, and then we'll go back to all my bullshit. <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> so, so um, I, as I in my uh, post my graduate studies, I was an intern at the Erotic Heritage Museum, which opened in 2008, and then I graduated in twelve. From the institution that was curating the the museum, and I left the museum um, as an intern and went to work for the man who owns the building. Mm. Um, he's the uh, he's our grand patron, but he also owns the chain of Deja Vu strip clubs and love boutiques and stuff like that. Um, and uh, he, he started digging into my past and my, my, my film history. Of course, he also, um, back in the seventies was a rather famous, um, adult film producer. You know, he discovered Seika and, and Hypatia, Lee, Hypatia Lee and stuff. Um, and so he had this film project that he wanted me to, to be a part of, and it was a reality show and kind of drug me around to some of these, um, production houses that wanted to produce the show for him. And then we walked out after running around for a day. Now, mind you, I didn't know this motherfucker from Adam. He just come walking in and said, you, whatever you're doing there, be in my car in 15 minutes. And I'm like, I looked at him and I'm like, I'm busy. He's (laughs) like, he kind of looked. He gave me this look, and then he was like, 15 minutes," and he walked out. And I looked at the rest of the staff there at the museum at the time, and I was like, "I guess I'm getting into Harry's car in fifteen minutes. I hope I come back alive," you know, because I, I didn't know this guy. Right. I'd never even heard of him, you know, and what a big deal he had been in the adult film industry. I mean, he was up there with Larry Flint. He was just silent. He was behind the scenes. Mm. So we ran around, and I said. At the end of it, I go, these are all these people, These all these motherfuckers just want to make money off your name. They're not, you know, if they deliver a product for you, they're going to charge you to produce this shit. They should be doing that fucking shit for free because of <laughs> who you are. And well, I guess he loved that. So, and, you know, ever since and we started, um, you know, interacting more and more, and then we started, you know, one business together, um, a camming thing. And then later on when the relationship between the Institute's president and him soured, um he ended up taking over the museum and a point you know i got a phone call one day from the corporate office and they were like you're the director go get keys and i'm like what because <laughs> i was running this cam thing i was running several of, of his like strip clubs i had a mail review i was running for him so like i was juggling all this shit and they were like yeah go get your keys and i'm like well okay so i called everybody else and was just like i can't do any of this anymore the museum's going to take my full-time thing it's going to be a full-time thing So I've been the director there for ten years now, and um, and originally the museum's um, focus was the sexual revolution, the the American sexual revolution of the 70s. Mm -hmm. And when Harry and I were started trying to figure out what we wanted the museum to be, I said, "Well, I if if it's going to be a museum, I don't want it to just focus on one period of time. It should be a, a science and art museum." That encompasses all of sexuality, all of time, every culture throughout history. And he was like, run with that. And that's kind of where what we've tried to do. And it's evo- it, because of that, it continues to evolve all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, actually, the museum now is full. We are full. So we have to rotate exhibits in and out because we just have so much stuff and are still accumulating more stuff for different exhibits, depending on a particular culture or period of time. So that's uh that's uh we're called the Erotic Heritage Museum and we're here in Vegas and we've been around since oh eight. Man. And I'm the director?
0: Well, I I'm planning to be in Las Vegas for the AVN convention uh mm-hmm. in January. Yeah, we have I'm a like,
1: booth there, yeah.
0: Well, I mean, maybe it's like a not a great time to come to the museum or you're going to be really busy or whatever, but
1: if, uh, yeah, it's one of my busiest times I'll be yeah. running back and forth but okay. You can either find me at the museum or at the at the convention yeah. We have a
0: booth, so. yeah, no, I will yeah. definitely find you somewhere But like at some point, even if that's not The opportune uh, time For me to visit the museum, I like, I'm so And I've been really excited About the museum, I've, I've like heard about it Talked about it, obviously now I know you um, This is your second appearance on the show And it's just like, it sounds Absolutely fucking incredible Because of everything you said, that it just Doesn't, it's not just like hey, women burn their bras and whatever. Although that's important, you're like doing all the cultures, all the darkness, all the light, all the whatever. I just love that idea that there's a place um, that encompasses as much as it doesn't and it has someone as smart as you running it (laughs) Um, because I think, you know, museums are amazing But it always comes down to like some politics of like who the fuck is picking the fucking and the biases and all that shit
1: so who is paying for it and that's the one thing we're lucky about is that we are a for-profit museum so Mm. we are not beholden to any government um as to what we can include into the museum yeah right yeah of course that makes the funding a lot more difficult so we have to do like any other business advertising and so forth Mm. to make sure we get people through the door but when people people know when they come through the door your viewers or whatever just know that your ticket pays for the museum to do what it does we don't get any government funding we we don't get any perks we don't i mean even mr mony he hasn't contributed anything in years because he hasn't had to yeah. because we were especially i was adamant that the museum would be self-supporting
0: yeah yeah absolutely so, you know
1: we're we're
0: NPR. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, we will definitely make sure that, uh, we include a link to the museum, um, in all and everything on, the, on this episode. I, I want to we depend on you for our museum to
1: continue. <laughs> well, we could do like a
0: fun, like fucking, you know, uh, telethon thing or something in the, in the yeah. summer, <laughs> summer or something. Um, I would be to- totally down for that cause. Um, <laughs> Yeah, because I, I love that stuff and I think it's really, really important. And the more that I educate myself on sex through this podcast, the more my mind it continues to expand. And, and I love that there's a place you can go and be shocked and learn yeah. and be, and walk out like totally different, right? I think that's like... You know, to me, that's Black Sabbath. It's like, holy shit, they said that! Oh my god! And then your mind slowly starts starts to like expand, right? And so, punk
1: rock museum of sex. Yeah.
0: See, this. I mean, okay, yeah. I'm I'm in. They're in. Um, I I love it. I can't wait to to come visit. Um, and possibly like do do something there. I don't know. Yeah, Um, absolutely. We'll see what happens. Stay tuned. Um. Back going back to what you said, because this is what really I mean, a lot of stuff grabbed me to be honest, but um, what really grabbed me is this thing about the line right between uh dark sexual fantasy or rough Mm -hmm. sexual fantasy and like crossing the line into like sexual, like violence, crime, murder, necrophilia, whatever, right? And you said that in your studies and you have two PhDs, correct? So, Mm -hmm. so, so there's that, right. And, and you have lived this life and, and you're, you're well, you're well, uh, uh, studied obviously. And you're telling me that you can't definitively say that there's a line, that there is this gray matter area. Right. And, you're not sure. Good
1: choice of words, actually. Good choice of words.
0: Well, I'm trying to frame us up for, for a yeah. for an episode title here. So um, you know, I'm always thinking, and I'm wearing a gray uh, a gray sweatshirt. But um, <laughs> it, the, the symbols nice. the symbols are everywhere. Nothing is a coincidence. Um, but so so that's fascinating because does that mean what you're saying is someone could be acting out fantasies with a partner or on, in, in in online chat rooms. And then one day uh, they go over the top and it's not because they're crazy or they've snapped. Is that what that means?
1: See, that's what's so interesting is in many, now I will say this is pretty consistent. In many, the fantasy precedes the crime. Okay, it's not where they haven't had the fantasy and then oh, just out of the blue, they decide to, like, you know, murder their girlfriend and, you know, eat her parts, you know, whatever. (laughs) Um, The fantasies, the fantasies have been there. So, too, have they been for those who never do anything, Mm -hmm. who want to do role play and BDSM-esque kind of kink, you know, and we hear about this now in the kink community where organizations like TASHA are actually doing legitimate scientific research into like extreme scenes right Mm -hmm. and extreme psychological kink play and and these kinds of things where they're reproducing like sexual aggression or you know even like necrophilia fantasies and stuff within a kink framework a bdsm framework and how do you negotiate consent and stuff so there are organizations in the kink world that are actually doing legit work to make that kind of play safe Um, and that's really important so the, So the consistency has been that whether that person kills or doesn't, the fantasies preceded the act or lack thereof, OK? Mm-hmm. Um, and I can use several examples. Um, one of my favorite and most fascinating to me anyway, is Issa Sagawa, uh, who um, was this uh, you know, very sickly, small child. Uh, growing up in um, Japan and had wealthy parents who shipped him around to different high profile schools and universities and stuff. Um, But if you, you can see so far back what like he was a cannibal necrophile, like straight up and had these fantasies for a long time, had gotten in trouble with the law for, I think like peeping and his father paid them off and sent him to France. And, uh, he had, he, I don't know that he had kind of a type of woman that he was into, but, um, he'd been largely, as you can imagine, unsuccessful. He was this sort of, you know, homely kind of small guy. And, and, uh, he befriended a gal and she came over to his apartment in France while they were at university to study something. And, you know, the fantasy, he had this opportunity. And as she was sitting with her back to him, he shot her in the head with a shotgun, just like it was a split second decision for him. It was like the opportunity was there right then in that moment. And he took it and then spent the next 24 hours slowly cutting parts of her, off, you know, cutting parts of her up and eating it. Um, And, you know, I'll be careful what I say, but like in particular, he focused on her um, genital and, and chest regions right uh even going into explicit description and right drawing a lot of pictures about each thing that he did like i have a, a book that he did because he wasn't incarcerated i don't know if your um viewers or listeners would know that but he actually was not incarcerated he went to in france he went into a, a mental facility for i think it was like not some say 9 months some say 3 years and then was deported back to Japan and Japan decided not to re-prosecute. And he was from then on known as the Kobe Cannibal and made a career out of it. He was in adult films, he wrote books, he drew pictures, he made an entire career, anyway he, he had celebrity status and even had a girlfriend for a while who dated him because he was the Kobe Cannibal. Wow. So um <laughs> but it was and, and what it what interests me. Um, is that he never reoffended? And there's this argument, especially in criminology, that offenders reoffend. They, there's high recidivism, right? Mm-hmm. Co- he never reoffended. Could that be because of his fame? Uh, good question. Would that matter if if BTK was out on parole? Do you think he'd reoffend, or because he's K- BTK, he wouldn't? Hmm? In Kobe Cannibal's case, he never reoffended, mm-hmm. which begs the question. Are all serial killers or all killers re-offenders? Well, Kobe Cannibal, he wasn't. Would BTK? I don't know. So there's, you know, we we try to get these black and white answers about these people because we want to protect ourselves. It's it's almost a, like a um, a uh, um, survival mechanism that we have to, like, want to know. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is that we don't know. We don't know when it could happen, and we don't know whether they're going to re-offend, even though, yeah, you could maybe... Try, I mean, there's classification systems out there. There's the Rosman and Regznik system, there's the Agrawal system where we try to classify necrophiles. But I've argued against both of their systems because they, they're, they're it doesn't match up with the kind of behavior that we see. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're the two popular ones that criminologists use. And um, a co author and I have proposed a different system that you know, theoretical work is really hard to get published, so there's that, but
0: um, right. Right,
1: um, but also because the journals want something concrete, mm-hmm. yeah, we can't offer anything concrete <clears throat> to do so would be to sort of all you have to do is look at some of these classification systems and you go to the granular level and they fall apart right they don't they don't stand stand up to scrutiny, so.
0: That's the
1: that's the challenge
0: of course, right? Well, yeah, and and you know what's interesting to me just from my uh I'm, this is not my my field. Uh, this is not whatever. I don't have any PhDs that I know of. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, there may have Maybe been one night when s- a party partying yeah, like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um it's definitely possible. Uh but
1: The, PhD of partying. <laughs> the thing
0: yeah. <laughs> um the thing that really Fascinates me, right, about that story, and what immediately comes to mind is 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 that he didn't reoffend. He was famous. He had a girlfriend, you know, celebrity status, whatever. And it, it it does beg this question, right, whether it's the Black Dahlia or BTK that you know they're sending letters to the newspapers. They're sending like I remember, like when Elizabeth Short, the Black Dahlia, was killed. They were he like sent uh, or they sent like. Like her like pieces of her wallet and shit and pieces of like her clothing like randomly to the so it is this, like need this want for attention and it, yeah. and and it, and it's and it's really fascinating that he was you know uh the gentleman you're talking about from Japan that he was. You know, getting turned down. Finally, talked somebody into coming over. Blasted him in the in the back of the head, and the you know because he wasn't getting any attention. Then he gets attention. He doesn't kill again, right? And so, right. it you know it does sort of beg the question again from like my, my layman fucking you know podcaster dude brain um, that is this all for, for, for fame and fortune and sex and girls. But the, the thing that I would then argue against myself would be, well, Ted Bundy was getting all kinds of pussy. So you like, like what, so you're right. I mean, this is a very gray. Now I'm going to have to go get a PhD with you. No, (laughs) no, you're, you are
1: hitting the nail on the head, like perfectly. That is a a great analogy of the challenges that, I mean, well, I'm not a criminologist, you know, I'm a sexologist who's just investigating criminal behavior, but, Mm. but that is the question that I think, you know, that's why there's so many true crime podcasts Mm. and et cetera, because people are just like trying to figure this out. The thing is, is there is no consistency. Okay. Um, Oh, uh, you're right. Ted Bundy was getting girls left and right and still was a cannibal and murdered and all this other kind of stuff. Um, you know, uh, there's a there's an argument. I, I did an episode on my podcast a little while ago about uh there's a a group of scientists that did they were they argued their hypothesis was that from an evolution so they went from an evolutionary angle mm-hmm. that that these kinds of offenders in fact are doing it to attract mates and their argument was built around. Um, online communities of girls 15 to 20 uh, that obs- were obsessed with spree killers, especially the young ones like uh, Columbine and so forth, and how there were these two types of girls. One were the sort of the savior types, and the other ones wanted to be like the Columbine spree shooters. So there. Their hypothesis and what they tried to argue in this paper is that there is there is a, they could strongly suggest that this could be evolutionary, just a really twisted version of it. Mm-hmm. That these these offenders do it to attract mates, and in fact, and they're called hebristophiles, the ones who are attracted to that. Hebristophiles is a controversial definition of these these gals. Um, which seems to be almost exclusively heterosexual women and girls um, that they this is what attracts them because he he is the one who kills, therefore they are the fittest amongst us. and they won't kill them mm. because they're the the mates, right? They'll kill anyone that'll try to hurt them. It's warped thinking, but there's sure. scientists who are making that argument. i I think I've only seen one study like that. There might be others. Let's just say it's up for debate, right? Yeah. So there's at least an, a, someone's made a, an evolutionary one. Other scientists have argued it, it really is just a celebrity thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's just that these offenders go about it in a really fucked up way mm-hmm. to become celebrities and because they get fans.
0: Yeah. I mean,
1: Charles Manson, when he was in his 70s, got married to some chick who was in her 20s.
0: Yeah. Didn't
1: last long, (laughs) but he had fans the whole time he was in prison, all the way up till he died.
0: Yeah, and that was something I was going to bring up immediately once we started talking about the women fans, right? Because I think that's – we have to explore that a little bit more. But, um, you know, the Manson girls, right? There was a whole slew of women that even before crimes or, like, known crimes because there's some – inconsistencies like maybe they did this maybe they were responsible for that they covered this up whatever yeah. we don't know ever everything obviously but for those years where they were living on the on the fucking spawn ranch or wherever they were like jumping around with the beach boys and like whatever yeah. um yeah. there was a there was a lot of women and and they were really attracted to him and yeah. you know and he would just instruct and almost like turned some of these women, I don't know, kind of like into killers maybe. And the idea that.
1: He certainly had his own cult.
0: Yeah. And their idea that he would have like like, following of women uh, who were young and by all accounts, like well off and good looking and obviously just, you know, estranged from their parents and whatever, but they would follow him around in a group like that. I think that speaks to everything you just said. That's insane. I mean, obviously, but maybe it's not insane. Maybe it's, maybe we're in the gray still, right? Like, so, I mean, what, what do you, and, I, and 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 if there's nothing definitive, obviously, but like, what do you think it is truly that would make a woman d- date Ted Bundy after he, you know, was in jail or what, I mean, what in your gut, like, do you think, do you just think it's just different for, for everyone or like, what is your research and combined with your intuition tell you
1: that's a really good question um i would probably i mean being that i'm sort of new to this part of the field mm-hmm. i would generally defer to someone like katherine ramslad who's studied this for 30 years and actually wrote the book on btk however um She's a criminologist. I'm a sexologist. And so I have that lens that I'm looking at these things through. Um, Anything can be sexually appealing. Anything. Okay. Uh, And I'll use the, I'll use uh, Karen Greenlee as a good example. Actually, the museum will be including the only known art piece slash artifact she's ever created. And um, I've spoken about her on my own channel Karen Greenlee, of course, was the unrepentant necrophile. Um, By the time she was caught, she had had sex with 20, it was either 20 plus or 40 plus young dead men within the first like 48 hours of their death. Um, And she's written, she was uh, going on speaking tours in the 90s. She was interviewed by, say, black metal and death metal um, authors who were in the death metal and black metal scenes and stuff um apocalypse culture i think is a book that she was interviewed for i would love to interview her myself i don't know if she's still alive or not but um she tried to explain that for her death was it represented beauty and a sexual attraction and the only love that she's ever known. And, and that it's love. It's that death for her was love itself. And I've talked about this on my podcast. It wasn't something, yeah, she talked about how when the blood would squirt out of their noses or their orifices that that smell of old blood turned her on and stuff like that. The thing that I've learned and, you know, like I said, my area of expertise is paraphilias, which are, you know, um, Paraphilias is a night is a pretty medical term for like unusual sexual behavior, things that are outside of the norm. What's normal anyway? But, (laughs) but um, these are like the I go for like the severe, severe paraphilias. And the thing that I've found amongst these folks is, first of all, this usually this isn't something that's caused by something, although it can be caused by trauma. Um, generally it's something they just discover about themselves and it locks itself into place at a very young age, between the ages of five and like fifteen. <clears throat> and it's just not anything that they can change. It's kind of like pedophilia. Once a pet I mean, a pedophile can choose not to offend mm-hmm. if they can get control of their urges, um, but they're always going to be a pedophile, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and it causes for those folks a lot of torment um maybe not all but you know for some who are trying to be um who don't want to hurt people they just have this this drive for necrophiles it's the same thing for anyone that has you know uh, an, uh there's a kink out there that are uh, sexual fetish that's you know someone cut, cutting off their limbs mm. um they like want try to find doctors to cut their limbs off problem is once it's cut off <laughs> how do you express the kink right mm-hmm. um so there are all kinds of unusual, um, paraphilias out there. And if they're strong enough and there are other like psychological factors there, people will cross over. And what's my gut instinct? Um, the part of this is innate and part of it is opportunity.
0: Okay. So, and
1: there comes a point where, and I would argue that in some, not all, but say in someone like, Richard Ramirez. Well, Richard Ramirez is more of a berserker. He just kind of went, yeah, and then the, was done, yeah. right? Yeah. PTK went on for and then hid for twenty years. He'd stop and start and then stop. Um, and also, I was mentioning this too. Um, uh, you know, the the guy I'm dating and we were, talked about this. He raised a really good point because I was like, well, isn't there sort of a consistent, you know, profile for these folks, and don't they always offend? And he was like, some but what about the ones that never get caught? Yeah. I'm going, wait, what? Because what about the ones who do do this? They do murder and then stop. And they're never found. I'm like, yeah. Right. Yeah. So there, I, there are, there is no, I, I do think it's a, it's innate ver, as well as opportunity, uh, whether it's created opportunity or just opportunity that presents itself. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think that in some cases they don't even know that it's going to happen. It's just is it like with Kobe, the Kobe Cannibal? Just there was yeah. the opportunity, he did it. Yeah. So
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. There
1: are there is no there is no consistency as much as other scholars. And I was on a podcast over the summer where the podcaster would you know counter me and <laughs> oh no no there's this consistency and we can look for this <laughs> in psychology and we can look for that psychology and I go can we? Maybe statistically, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't like place my bets on being able to use those tools all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, there are outliers, you know, The podcaster had to admit. I'm like, okay. What about so the outliers? No, yeah. Yeah. What about the outliers? And what about the outliers that we haven't caught?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right? And I
1: just like anything else, there's a spectrum.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, and that's, that is fascinating. Cause you know, there's, there's a sexual spectrum that deals yeah. with, like, uh, uh, whom you're attracted to. Yeah,
1: danger is sexy to some people.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, the term danger horror is real and, and, exactly. and, and whatever. But, um, also, like, I think there's a kink spectrum and, mm-hmm. you know, I do. I, it, it, to me... I
1: mean, some people jump out of planes and it turns them on, and other people yeah. chase serial killers because it turns them on.
0: Yeah, and also, too, like, and they did a movie on it, I think, back in the 90s, but it's, like, there's people who get turned on by, like, watching... Car crashes and like masturbating mm-hmm. to to that shit, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and and I think all of this is 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 causing some kind of chemical reaction in the brain. And well, not
1: only that, but fear and mm-hmm. lust mm-hmm. are in the same parts of the brain. <laughs> yes,
0: yeah, I, you know, I I delved into this that particular thing where the part of the brain that that trauma is coming from is the, is the same place that an, basically like, that an orgasm or, or the feeling of wanting yeah. an orgasm comes from, and that to me is like. So fascinating! I could do a hundred more episodes on that one (laughs) alone. But like you you mentioned, like school shooters and shit. Here we are again. These are people who have been ignored. They haven't had any attention. Usually, it's from like women are fucking. You know, turning them down. The people are. Yeah hitting them with fucking spitball. Do they still do that? Like spitballs and. I don't even know. You know whatever. <laughs> I grew
1: up in the age of dodgeball, but so we were pretty violent in the age right. Gen Xers, man. We took our hits. <laughs> yeah,
0: for sure. For sure. Um, but you know, opportunity and these, there are some people out there that haven't been caught. And like, you know, we mentioned BTK. I think we should lay that one out a little bit because his, his was very methodical, very sexual um for some reason when i think of him i always like kind of like parallel him with the zodiac because the zodiac was mainly targeting people like banging in cars and parks and whatever but like there's a sexual component to there so Mm -hmm. i mean if you could lay out what btk's thing was and the fact that he did hide for so long and he was just out there in the ether somewhere and people had no i mean i think some people were like who the fuck's doing this, but, but (laughs) like, you know, there, there, it was so methodical and it was so obviously sexual that I think people don't want to talk about it. I think to this day, right. We say BTK and and I'll let you take it from there.
1: Well, I mean, uh, BTK, I would say was a Um, And again, I would lean on Catherine Ramslad's work on that. Um, But BTK, and I've read her book and uh, um, I, I tended to see BTK as escalating because each time he did something, he escalated it a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, you know, where he would commit his first crimes and leave the bodies there. And then he would move them and then he'd move them out of there to somewhere else and you know, pictures and stuff like that, and then recreate the scenes that were in his memory, like in his shed, you know, where we'd, you know, take pictures of himself hanging in their their stockings or whatever they had taken from their his souvenirs. Um so for with with BTK, uh I would say that you could attach a lot of um uh diagnoses to him. Necrophilia, um uh, a strong paraphilic kink towards there's there there these are big words that I'm not sure. gonna say here you know there's a, a pen <laughs> see I can't even say a lot of them. <laughs> there's one for you know there's a, a a paraphilic word for murder there's a paraphilic word for murder with sex crime there's a pair you know there's all sure. these words that um uh, we use as definitions and he had a number of them um and and he's also a classic. Textbook narcissist, mm. so you know this attention getting and so forth, if he did would he have been caught if he'd just stayed in his shed and not said anything because you got to remember how he was caught was he used a floppy drive at his church <laughs> to send a letter to a newspaper because he was pissed off <sighs> about a journalist that had said shit about him that he believed was inaccurate, and they found they traced him to the church from that floppy disk he would have gotten away with it or quite a person or could have Mm re-offended and not ever gotten caught but that narcissistic part of him got him busted and now you know they're looking at and this is kind of what's interesting to me about the, the books i'm writing they're looking at some of his drawings because they're of Uh, women and girls that they don't recognize Mm. and they're now criminologists and you know the um uh criminological system is asking themselves are these victims are these just his fantasies Hmm? yeah so um that just goes to show you how persistent when when this kind of thing is severe how persistent it is Mm -hmm. and we already know and you can read susan brown's work Um, that people with these kinds of personality disorders at their core. Now, not all killers have personality disorders, just many do. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, That the the core of these disorders is the inability to change. It's not that they lack empathy and all that kind of stuff, which are important components. Yes. But at their core, people like BTK are incapable of changing and growing emotionally. Yeah. Just, that's not that's not possible with these per, types of personality disorders so i mean that's the see that's where you know i come back to when i'm writing as i'm writing these books is i wish i had the answers but sure. there aren't any
0: well I,
1: there just aren't yeah you know so there's a number of things you've got evolution that might be part of it Mm -hmm. you've got paraphilias it might be part of it there might be trauma there environmental factors of their relationship with their parents for instance especially their mother if it's a boy um i know that's kind of freudian but it still applies a little bit um to opportunity to um you know one of the people i'm writing about uh is an amazing erotic artist and his crime was he killed three people as a 19 year old in the middle of a raging meth haze.
0: Wow. Oh, right. God.
1: Um, and, and has been in prison ever since. So uh, there's another factor, like what kind of, are they on drugs of some kind or do they take, do they take drugs? And that's when they commit, uh, Factor factor factor, sure. factor, yeah. Factor, factor, yeah. factor, 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 no, factor, factor. Yeah. No, I
0: mean, and there's so, they're, let's add
1: them up. Yeah. Right.
0: There's so many of them. And I think I want to go back real quick and just to, to, to dumb it down for myself. And, and I want to, um, I don't want to dumb it down for the audience, but I want to lay it, lay out the BTK thing a little more, um, uh, basic, right? So BTK stands for bind, torture, kill. The BTK killer. Uh, I mean, I'm just going to ask you some questions about him, but like, how long was he active? Uh, I heard, and, and, you know, and this could be wrong, but he had like at least a wife or a family while he was doing it. He had a
1: family. Okay. So he was married with a a daughter. Yeah. Okay.
0: So he's actually
1: that daughter gets interviewed still regularly.
0: Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure.
1: Yeah. And Um, go visit him.
0: And how many, okay. So one what was his MO, right? Like what, what was his procedure? Well, you just said it. Right, right. Bind
1: the pill. That was his MO.
0: So he you know? would, he would, where would he pick these women up from?
1: Well, you know, that's, what's interesting. And again, I learned that a lot from, um, the guy I'm dating is because he studied this guy really intensely is mm-hmm. he would stalk his prey BTK someone would catch his attention some woman would catch his attention he didn't really have a type Mm. which was a lot of people a lot also criminologists like oh well like ted bundy had a type (laughs) ted bundy had a consistent type btk didn't have a type again that's why we can't like nail down very specific traits of these these individuals right um but someone would catch his attention and he would start to plan he would stalk his prey like you know a tiger and he would assess the situation. He would think about it methodically. He would plan things out methodically, account for contingency plans, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, and would execute that at whatever time he he deemed was in, um, appropriate. And then, as the, he was committing the crimes, he would have to adjust accordingly, right? Which contributed to the high of the crime mm-hmm. because part of, it was. It, it, it's kind of like. And I don't mean to minimize this at all because it, you know, the loss of these lives, of course, was absolutely tragic and unjustified um, because for him it was a pleasure kill, you know, and that's fucked up. Mm -hmm. Um, That being said, to use a, a little bit more of a vanilla analogy, when you are getting ready to go out on a date, you pick your clothes, especially for a woman, you pick your clothes and your makeup and you want your eye, your eyeshadow and your, you know, your lashes to be just right. Maybe you go to the hairdresser, or you get your nails done. There's this anticipation, right? Mm-hmm. And then you go out on the date and, and this, this could apply to men too, maybe just in a different way. Then you get on the date and you don't know what's going to happen. So there's this sign of, you know, if you're attracted to that person, there's this arousal factor and then you have to kind of go with whatever happens <laughs> in that, in those moments. I would argue that that's a very vanilla way to try to, you know, encompass what BTK was doing as he was planning for him. This was his version of dating, if you if you will. Mm. It's fucked up to say that. But this is kind of what, you know, he it was this build up, build up, build up, build up. And then when he finally got to the crime part for that, him, it was the high and and such a high that he had to recreate that in his shed later on with the souvenirs of the women that he had killed, Mm -hmm. which then gave him sexual pleasure for a a period of time until that buildup started to happen again, right? And I would argue that he's still doing that, just not in sexual form anymore. and He's not killing anybody. But even if you look at the book that Catherine Ramsled wrote about BTK, he's doing the same thing to her. Just How? psychologically.
0: Mm, okay. Okay. So.
1: He- I don't know if she recognized that and played <laughs> along or not. I don't know. That's fascinating. But if you read her book and the way he's play, he's like playing this game with her, mm-hmm. he's still doing the same thing. He's just in prison to where he can't kill people. and right Sure.
0: Sure. So he's still alive.
1: He is still alive.
0: Okay. So he. Yeah.
1: And they just, like I said, they just started looking at some of the drawings right. that he's done because they, they're wondering if these are unsolved crimes and he's he's denying it. He's like, No, you found everybody. I've admitted to everything. But mm. it's BTK. Wouldn't you admit to that if you wanted to stay in the news too? Right. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know, you know, you keep people guessing.
0: Yeah, for okay? sure for sure. Um, so he would, he would, he would grab these women at an opportune time when no one else was around, sho- yep. shove them in a van or something from what I remember. Um, and then,
1: no, that's funding.
0: Okay. So he would get, yeah. he would get these women he would offend
1: in their homes. He would offend in their
0: home. Okay. He, but he would tie them up, uh, usually with, was it his stuff he was using or was it their stuff? Cause it, like, I feel like I've heard like. No, he came prepared.
1: Okay. He came prepared.
0: So he would tie them up, torture them and kill them. And then the sex comes in or was he having sex with them while they were tied up and being tortured? It, dep- it depended. Wow. It depended. Okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, one of his murders um, actually just touched the, the, the victim, uh, but ejaculated on the victim several times.
0: Wow. 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 Wow yeah
1: while while that victim was bound, yeah and hanging,
0: what the fuck that's insane um yeah. and again, this man had a family at home, which who i mean you know
1: and they didn't know yeah
0: they didn't, uh, um and then so, and how many years was he active?
1: uh, you know, I don't know exactly sure. how many years he was actually- i mean you could time it. Again, are those the only victims
0: right? yeah, of course, okay,
1: so you can make an assessment based on the last victim that he admitted to is that's when he stopped. Maybe that's true, but then there was almost two decades between that and when he was finally caught
0: mm-hmm. Wow,
1: so I don't know in those twenty years did he offend and and just nobody caught on to that,
0: I yeah, yeah, um. I want to, in this last section of this episode, I want to talk about the books you're, you're writing because I think, um, and I know they're not ready. So no, I won't push too hard, but <laughs> I, I, I want to like you to talk about, um, you know, what they are and, and why you're writing them. Cause I, I, I think that again, like as everything with you, it's incredibly fascinating and it presents a ton more questions and more fascination. So. Um tell us about the about the books you're writing.
1: So I'm writing two books uh called The Sexual Art of Serial Killers One and Two. Uh Volume Two is gonna include the famous murderers like Ramirez, BTK, Dahmer, etc. Uh a lot of people don't know that some of these um these serial killers, etc., uh were at were were prolific erotic artists and what I found that's really interesting and as I've examined you know because I do run a museum so I do art analysis and I'm a forensic investigator and I've also um, been an expert witness in a court case where there was an attempt to evaluate erotica uh, film and for this particular case it was um, video and film Um, and what I found I I don't know what I was if I even had any expectations going into the work but I was first of all I was surprised if this stuff was out there second of all I was surprised what it takes to get a hold of it um and the kind of online community um not even communities the online channels you have to navigate in order to be able to acquire these materials mm-hmm. um but also I suppose I was if I did have any expectations that their art would be representative almost entirely of their crimes. And I was wrong. Um, It really is individualistic in what way they express themselves artistically where their sexual proclivities and their crimes are concerned. And that was probably the most fascinating to me. Again, again, isa sagawa the kobe cannibal is a great example all of his artwork is all about exactly what he did and the fantasies leading up to it they were very consistent throughout his lifetime and then there are others where uh daniel siebert is a good example um and this is i think this applies to criminology because you can't really always you know and when you see like kids in school drawing satanic drawings or whatever teachers freak out (laughs) Sometimes those are just drawings. Mm. Sometimes they're not. Yeah. And to freak out about all of them all the time has really serious implications for that kid who's pr- maybe just an artist, right? Right. Um. Uh. But like Daniel Siebert is a great example. His crimes. I've read his letters. Good lord. Oh. <laughs> this dude just. I mean some of the most heinous descriptions of his, his crimes and how he sees women and these kinds of stuff. And yet his artwork is full and it's beautiful because he was an art teacher of fairies and beautiful sceneries and fantasy art that you would see in a, in a heavy metal magazine
0: Wow!
1: or not even in a heavy metal magazine. I mean, he drew fairies, right? cute little fairies and stuff like that. And I'm just like the discrepancy between his art and his crimes are so far apart and vast that you would never guess in a million years that he was capable of what he actually did, uh, from his artwork. And that to me is what's been so fascinating as I've been on this journey, right? The ones who are drawing their artwork, especially their sexual art, um, around their crimes are kind of easy. Really, it's the ones that they don't match up that, you know, I start digging more into their psychology, like where are these coming from and stuff? So and to my knowledge, that's not something anyone's done because it's scary territory. I'm just accustomed to navigating scary territory. (laughs) I'm not talking psychological (laughs) territory. I'm talking like in order to access these materials, there are channels I've had to go through that for most people, they would be. Weary and afraid to go through those channels, and I'm just not and so far um other than the anonymity that's been requested of me from you know some of the folks that I've acquired these materials from for the book sure um, um you know it's been an incredible learning experience, and they've like they've wanted to assist me in you know doing this work and making these things available and uh so it's been a fascinating journey too. And I've got all of a sudden, I've got all kinds of people like, when are they getting published? When are, these are going to be like pivotal books. So I'm like, really? i published a book already on these folks. And, you know, I just never, it's just something I'm interested in. But for other people, they're just like clamoring to get there. I did a lecture at up, um, up, up last year um, where I started talking about this and I had brought some of the artwork with me mm. and they were all just chomping at the bit to see the artwork. And then it was after the lecture, I got like bombarded with questions, you know, and the lecture not only sold out, but they had to almost triple the seats at right. And like standing room and this kind of shit. So it's obviously something of interest for people. And it's been interesting work for me too. I don't know. It's just, I, I think I'm just uh, like everyone else. I'm on a quest to understand. Yeah. But one thing I can say is that there, I can't find any very little consistency amongst these people who commit these crimes. They're all very unique.
0: Yeah. And that's, I think, again, here we are, you know, in the, in the gray uh, with the gray matter. Yeah. And, 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 and I the think gray matter. that's the, the most f- fascinating part, I think for everyone. I mean, would you be satisfied if you found an answer? I feel like you would, you would go, you have to like, find something else to chase down. You're like the the, the detective, <laughs> right? And I think...
1: I wonder if I'm ever going to retire. Uh, yeah, yeah um, no, never. <laughs> I, you know, uh, um, when I started doing this work and I found my way onto some of these fantasy, um, into these fantasy communities mm-hmm. when I was doing my initial research, I I wanted to be that researcher that ended up on Time Magazine as the person who unlocked the criminal mind, Right. And and was able to provide uh, a 100 percent accurate uh, diagnostic tool to where we could see these people coming in and, and do what we what we can mm-hmm. to save people and to prevent violent crime and from people getting hurt. That was my motivator. And I had actually coined a phrase called progressive paraphilia. Um, and I was like, this is going to be my ticket, right? Um, not only my ticket, but I hope it'll save countless lives. Mm-hmm. Is And I was wrong. And that's the thing about science is you usually are wrong. That's why science is so fascinating is because it's a mystery. And every time you uncover just something else, you also add several questions to the problem. Yeah. By by figuring out one thing, you end up having 10 more questions, right? And that's why like, this has been kind of along that same vain is, you know, uh, oh, I wasn't expecting that. Well, now what about the, just like you raised? Well, I, um, are the, do they go dormant? Do they, uh, do you, you know, all the questions you asked sure. earlier, those are now my questions. Like, well, <sighs> what, hi, you know, and all of a sudden I've got 17 more questions I have to ask. Cause I solved this one thing.
0: Right. Right. Well, you know, here at the end of this episode, uh, t- two, two questions I want to ask one, do you think that 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 lecture sold out and then sold out again or whatever, because people are just can't comprehend that someone that's capable of such a heinous, violent, sexual crime can also then produce these images and it's just so opposite and so gray. They just can't understand it. So they need to come see it. Or are they just like is it the people that are like, Ooh, death, I need, I need to be in the front that row. Thing. Yeah.
1: I think it's, it's like curiosity for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But also I think, you know, most of us are not going to be, end up being murderers. Right. You could ask the question, are we capable of it? That's not for this podcast right now. But most of us are not going to kill somebody. So there's fascination around how can someone cross that line? Absolutely. Mm. And second of all, death is something that we don't, understand. None of us can report back to the other and say, oh, this is what it's like when you die. It's just an unanswerable question yeah. and it scares us. And so for you know, some people, they become fascinated with it. Some people sexualize it like Karen Greenlee. Um, I think we find different ways of dealing with death and we try to dance around it, just not with it you know, um, except for those few like BTK or Karen Greenlee or any of these other folks that we've talked about, they've actually stepped into that arena. And I think they fascinate us for that reason, because that's something that most of us will never experience.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, beautiful, morbid
1: curiosity.
0: Yeah, no, beautiful, beautiful answer. Um, and so it, it sets us up perfectly for for my final question, and that and the, and that is the sixty four thousand dollar question, and that is you know I've had people on the show who are into knife play, right? I've had people on the show who like to be tied up and chased around the house. I mean, you know, even my girlfriend and I like had some fun with a fucking scream costume and when whatever around Halloween, right? <laughs> and so right. It, it, those are very. I mean, I don't know about the knife play, but like those are like very vanilla. I mean, even in popular culture, it's like, hey, choke me more during sex. Like, I mean, 20 years ago, that wasn't a thing. Now it is great, right? But then when you get into people who are into darker things um, and they're not committing crimes, I guess here at the end of the episode, I would ask you, how does someone stay safe while still – exploring their kinks, whether they be dark or gray or whatever, how do you stay alive? How do you stay away from someone who might sna- snap or, or or just make a crazy decision one night and go too far? because I want people to be able to explore everything they want to explore, but I want them to do it safely just like you do. And so if there's danger out there that it could just happen like that, how do they stay safe? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, as someone who's traversed those realms, um, uh, personally, uh, you can't always keep yourself safe. Um, There have been more than one occasion where I could have not gotten out of it alive. Um, And I would probably say that anyone that traverses really dark fantasy play, uh, that is a risk you take now kinksters like or kink community leaders like tashra obviously are going to advocate for um, safe sane and consensual you talk about the scene beforehand and you continue to negotiate you build trust with that person etc 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 okay um those are all really nice surface level suggestions important ones definitely uh but surface level um and i would i would say that that's probably wise for 99 percent of the population to follow those suggestions and to stick with them um when you start getting into play with a danger element i mean it doesn't have to be sex play what about Instagrammers or influencers who video themselves on the tip of a mountain right before they accidentally fall off? Yeah,
0: well, <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah.
1: so any time that you take risks like that, can be sexual or not, don't be dumb. There's the, light, there's the potential that that could kill you, okay? Uh, you, you can't go down to a whorehouse in, you know, uh a war or war zone and expect that you're gonna make it out alive. You might not.
0: Right.
1: Okay. Uh um you know, um you can't go hanging out at a drug house and not expect to make it out alive all the time. Um and I know these are harsh comparisons and I'm probably gonna piss a lot of people off with that. But you know there are certain there are certain scenes scenarios that you put yourself in, sexual or not if you take a risk, there's all I, I use the 50-50 analogy. There's always a fifty percent chance it's going to end badly. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So if you want kink play, safe, sane, and consensual, you know, one hundred percent. If you're going to start taking dangerous risks, that's on you. Because humans are humans are unpredictable, and so is life.
0: Wow. I mean, what a way to end it. Jesus Christ. That's, I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> Dr. Victoria Hartman, um, you know, thank you so much for being on sex party for a full episode this time, but like, thank you. Thank you. Well, of course. And we're going to do this again and and probably collab on a ton of things in the future. I hope, but like, thank you for, yeah,
1: I'll definitely let you know when my books are done. Yeah, oh,
0: I hope so. I mean, <laughs> come on, because I don't want to ask you too much about those about those right now. Cause I know it's kind of like a, I, I get it. Creative, artistic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to give away the farm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, but you know, I, I want to thank you for, for, for your work and I, and how fascinating uh, and driven and, and smart you are. I think, I think, I think everything you're doing is incredible, but I also think that like, you know, you are on the precipice of doing something amazing. If it's these books, it's these books. If it's the next thing, it's the next thing. But I just think someone like you is vital for everything that you brought to this episode. That's just like a little, <laughs> a little, you know, tiny bit. I just think your work and who you are is vital, running the museum. So I just want to say thank you for that. I think it's fucking amazing rock star shit. Thank you. Um thank you. let's uh let's let's well re- let's remind them where they can find you online, where they can find your fucking incredible podcast, where they can hang out with you, all that.
1: Sure. So Museum's easy. It's the erotic, it's eroticmuseumvegas.com and we're in Vegas right across the the train tracks from planet 13 because of course I'd have to work where the train tracks are. (laughs) Um, and, uh, but don't worry, the museum is, is safe and it's a lot of fun. Don't let the exterior fool you. (laughs) Um, Take a little bit of a risk and come inside. <laughs> uh, and then I'm, I have a, a podcast called Sex Nerd Podcast. Um, and that's, you know, you can easily just search on YouTube, Sex Nerd Podcast, or my name, Victoria Hartman, and, and you'll find me there. Um, and, uh, and you'll know that it's me because I have a little trademark sign on my um, podcast name. And then on uh, Instagram, I post a lot, and that's uh, Sex Nerd Pod. And that account is more like I post really disturbing memes and some of my modeling stuff that I do. Um, and then, you know, announcements for, um, uh, any work that I'm doing. Like for instance, right now I'm working on um, music video creation. I've been doing some music video production, um, just as an aside. Um, and that's been a lot of fun. And of course, even those movies are, you know, those videos are dark. So, um, so you can find me in those particular places. Yeah, I I I uh, I, I um, lurk there a lot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I I I'm so happy you lurked with me in this episode, and I I cannot. Thanks for lurking. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we will lurk anytime you want, and I uh, I cannot wait to have you back. I know they're like frothing at the fucking frothing, foaming at the mouth, like for the next installment. So <laughs> go check out everything she's doing. But thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you. Huge thank you to my guest, Dr. Victoria Hartman, for being with me this week. She will be back. We will be collabing a lot more in 2024, so get used to seeing her. If you're loving guests like Dr. Victoria Hartman, you love the true crimey, true sex crimey kind of episodes here on Sex Party, you want to show some love, some appreciation, some goddamn desire for more Sex Party. How do you do that? Well... If you're listening on platforms like Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeart, you could, you know, you could leave a rating, you could leave a review, sure. The most important thing you could do is subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode, new episodes each and every Wednesday, no matter what. If you are watching on YouTube... (gasps) Oh God run run um, If you're watching on YouTube I love you I see you I appreciate you If you're watching on YouTube you can like This video you can like all the videos You can leave comments again the most important Thing you can do is subscribe To the channel as Always I'm available in the DMs On Instagram and I will see you all right back here Next week Thanks for listening the party Continues next week Click subscribe and let's make this a regular thing. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at SexPartyFM. Follow Dustin at DustinRibka.